King night is quaking, God is making all things new, Jesus saves. Hear the heart of heaven's beating, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And the hush of mercy breathing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Hear the host of angels sing, glory to the newborn King. And the sounding joy repeating, Jesus saves. See the humblest hearts adore him, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and the wisest bow before him, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, see the sky alive with praise, melting darkness in its place. There is light forevermore, in Jesus says. He will live our sorrow sharing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. He will die our burdens bearing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. It is done, we'll shout the cross. Christ has paid redemption's cost. While the empty tombs declaring, Jesus saves. Freedom's calling, chains are falling. Hope is dawning, bright and true. Day is breaking. Night is quaking, God is making all things new. Freedom's calling, chains are falling, hope is dawning, bright and true. Day is breaking, night is quaking, God is making all things new. Jesus says, Jesus says. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, are the saints who shout together. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, rising up so vast and strong, lifting up salvation's song. The redeemed will sing forever, Jesus saves. Rising up so vast and strong, lifting up salvation's song, the redeemed will sing forever. Jesus saves.
Turn to Psalm chapter 107, please, this morning. Thanks for being in your place here on Mission Sunday. And I honestly believe this is the most important day of the year here at Centennial because the commitments that we make today reflect the spiritual growth that's happening in our own hearts and lives. And as we go to Psalm 107 this morning, we're going to spend some time in this chapter here in the month of November. And our series is entitled, For His Wonderful Works. Now, the notes are provided in your, in your bulletin. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with us here this morning, and, and we're going to go through much of this chapter over the coming four weeks, and it's a, it's a great passage of Scripture. You'll quickly see that there's a prominent phrase in this psalm. And we're going to start reading at verse number 1 to get the context. We'll go through verse number 15 here this morning. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Father, would you work today through this passage in our lives? We've come to worship you here this morning, and certainly we've enjoyed lifting our voices in song and uh, just magnifying your name together. But we pray that this would be the focal point of our morning, that we might spend some time understanding your word that the Holy Spirit of God would go before and open each heart in this room, including mine. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You noticed what verse 8 said, and perhaps notice that verse 15 said the same thing. Look down at verse 21 in the passage. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Check out verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Obviously, something in this chapter that God wants His people to pay close attention to keeping. And in our For His Wonderful Works series, we're going to look at this sentence that's repeated four times in Psalm 107. By the way, as our outreach teams go out to meet folks in the community this month, they'll be giving them a card with our sermon series on the front, and the gospel message on the back. And would you pray for them as they go out? 
every day if you would. And if you'd like to join the outreach team or get more information on what's, what it is that they do, uh, it's simple. There's a quick meeting every Sunday night right after the service. Yeah, there won't be one tonight because we have the mission banquet, but, uh, but if you'd come to that next Sunday, we'll have a great time. And, and by the way, I'm looking forward to tonight, the international dinner. And I don't know what it is that you're fixing, but I know it's going to be good. I mean, there's such a, we have a worldwide opportunity here to enjoy food tonight. You know what I'm saying? Uh, can I get an amen on the food part of that? Yeah. And uh, whether you go with, uh, you know, burritos so that you can, you know, think of the, the people in Mexico or the, you bring some Filipino food or you bring some spaghetti and think of the Italians or whatever it is that you're thinking of, we're going to enjoy it together. So 5.30 tonight, uh, main dish and a dessert. We're going to have a great time. As we sit in church this morning, the population of the world is right at 7,200,000,000 people with four new births every second. So four people were just born. And four more people were just born. And it's easier said than done, by the way, on that. But four people born every second. 110 people die every minute. In fact, close to 50 million people have died already in 2013, worldwide. Over 4,000 people will die during the message this morning. Now, those numbers don't seem to really affect us unless someone that we know personally becomes part of the statistics. The vast majority of the people on planet Earth have no idea that they sit in darkness. Personal responsibility before the holy, eternal God has rarely, if ever, invaded their thoughts. While over a billion people on the earth claim no religious affiliation, 85% of the earth's inhabitants grow up under some belief system. And that belief system is introduced at a very early age. And of course, it's always presented as if it's the complete truth And whether a kid grows up as a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Catholic, a Mormon, a Lutheran, a Baptist, whatever it is, there is the potential and is actually the likelihood to attach to that belief system for life because it's the family tradition or it's the national religion or it's the tribal culture. And so billions of people feel that they're secure in spiritual things because They've known some form of religion throughout their life. Uh, I've grown up all my life of 41 years old, and the first Sunday of my life I went to a Baptist church, and it's been pretty much happening since then. But you know, I grew up with plenty of kids uh, who went to Sunday school in a Baptist church that have absolutely no regard for God in their daily lives. But if you talk to them, here's what they say. They feel secure in the fact that they have eternal life because they went to vacation Bible school once and prayed a prayer. Now, the salvation I read about in the Bible is a little bit bigger than that. Uh, It's an actual life change where we become Christ followers. And so, could you say that some people follow Christianity even as a religion? 
I would say yes. There are a lot of people who follow the religion of Christianity. And we sometimes kind of buy into the, the words and the symbols and the logos on that. You know, I've seen the hollow looks on the faces of religious people in countries all across the world. People who have no idea why they even exist. And this morning I want to deal with this phrase that we saw in verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Because of sin, God's word says they are condemned already. They need truth, not religion. They don't need to do anything. They need to hear that through Jesus Christ, it's already been done. And uh, that's the toughest thing when you talk to people from religious backgrounds all across the world. They think they have to do something to get to God. The truth is, there's nothing you can do. There's nobody good enough. There's no righteousness strong enough. It's already been done on the cross. We're going to see this in four parts in your notes if you'd like to follow along. Let's talk first about satisfaction for the longing. Satisfaction for the longing. Look at verse number 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Have you ever felt before like something was missing in your life, but maybe you didn't know what it was? You just kind of have that nagging feeling. And whenever I feel that way, I always eat a bowl of ice cream, just in case that's what I was searching for. Um, You know, get that feeling, something may be wrong, and hey, grab the briars, and you're good to go. But uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, you Wake up in the middle of the night with a feeling that you've forgotten something. That there's something maybe out of your control that you need to worry about. That's usually what worry is. It's when we get up and spend time caring about things we have no control over. And God cautions us about that. But anytime we go on a trip, we usually get about five miles down the road before my wife says, I feel like we forgot something. Feel like we did. And my response normally is, well, they have Walmarts where we're going. And (laughs) we can solve that issue uh, very quickly. But billions of people on the earth, religious, non-religious, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, successful, unsuccessful, have billions of people really have a God-sized hole in their hearts. They're missing something. They're soul-hungry, but they're not sure why. But some of them go to church every week, or even every day. Some of them give time to help with charities, and they have good boundaries for their kids. In fact, their parenting might be better than some Christians' parenting. They go to marriage seminars, but something is missing. Verse 9, as we've just read, describes it. Until Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can never have soul satisfaction. You can hear preaching from the Bible. You could be in a small group or a life group. You could give in the offering. You could even give to reach people around the world, but still be living without satisfaction in your own life. And I I just, I'm not trying to uh, scare you or make you doubt 
your Christianity, but can I just say this to you in a loving way this morning? If you couldn't right now in your mind go to the time, you don't have to know the date or the day of the week, but, but the experience, the time when you made a commitment to receive the gift of eternal life and repent of your sins, then there's a reason why you still have a longing in your soul. Going to a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. It really doesn't. There, there's nothing in it that makes you that. And you have a longing because you need a relationship with your Creator. Only He fills the hungry soul with goodness. I'm sure you know people that have tried things to satisfy the soul. Yet it didn't work. They have all the toys, but they don't have any peace. In fact, there are a lot of Christians who've tried that. Oh, if we could just get this thing. If we could get this thing. If we could get this thing. And now they have all the things. And they have less satisfaction than they've ever had. And they have more fights with their wife or husband than they've ever had. And they have more problems with their kids than they've ever had. Thirteen people from church here went to India this past summer. And, well, you know, one of the things that we noticed over there, their lives are so simple. Uh, just incredibly simple. And uh, you do see irregularities. Like you see a guy walking down the road with um, this pile of sticks on his head uh, with one hand, and on the other, other head, side of his head he's talking on a cell phone. And uh, he's not wearing anything except a little thing around his midsection. And uh, you see kids that their only possession is one set of clothes and a stick. I mean, they don't have anything. And uh, they're so excited about having one thing. You know, we have so many things that we try to make ourselves happy with. And it just doesn't work. Our kids were sitting last night um, looking through newspaper ads. I don't know why they do that, but they, they love to do that. And uh, they were already telling us the things that they would like to put on the Christmas list. And my wife said, look, it's barely November. You're already thinking that far ahead about what things you want and what things that you need. And of course, Cody's things each cost about $1,200. In fact, some of them cost more than that. Dad, if you ever wanted to get me a Nissan truck, you know. Um, we, but we buy into this philosophy that, hey, things could make me happy. If I could get that new rifle, if I could get that new truck, if I could get that thing from my hobby, then I'd be happy. And you know people who've tried that. You've probably tried it yourself. I know people that have tried earthly relationships for soul satisfaction. If I can just meet the right guy, if I can just meet the right girl, this is the one that will give me peace. And then this is the one that will give me peace. And then this is the one that will give me peace. And then this is the one that will give me peace. And they've tried five, six, seven times. And it's never worked. See, earthly relationships can't bring eternal peace. It's impossible. Think of it logically. It can't happen. Some people say, well, maybe if we have kids, we'll find satisfaction. And it's temporary. 
Um, your kids, you, I know you love your kids and you enjoy your kids, but there's going to come a day when they annoy the fire out of you. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest here. Preachers are supposed to be honest, right? You, yeah, just go ahead and lay it out there. No, we love our kids. We thank God for them. But you know what? Kids don't bring you eternal satisfaction. They can't. Yeah, I know people that have tried thrills to fill that void in their lives. They go climb a mountain, and then they jump off a cliff, and then they jump off a bridge and with a parachute. <laughs> but, you know, they're always headed for the next big thing because the last big thing still left a longing inside. You know who some of the most empty people are that I've ever read after? People who summited Mount Everest. You should study it. They summit Mount Everest, biggest thing possible that they could ever dream of, and they come down the other side unsatisfied. Not happy. No peace. I know people that have tried education to fill the needs of the soul. And the truth is, education only makes it worse. I'm sure you know that some of the most confused people around are the most educated ones. Isn't it educated people who are running our government right now? I mean, there are fleas on a dog who could do better at it. And they've never taken the course. It's just, it's alarming. Um, But here's why. God says this about educated people in Romans 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Can you imagine that? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And look, there's always another theory to try. The satisfaction for the longing inside of you will only come from one source, Jesus. It's the only way it's going to work. But then let's look further in the passage, verse number 10, and we see sight for the blind. Sight for the blind. Look at verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You know, it's possible to sit in darkness and not even know it. H.G. Wells wrote a book called Country of the Blind. And it's about a tribe of people in a remote valley of a deep mountain range. And during a terrible epidemic, all of the villagers go blind. Over time, entire generations of people grow up having no awareness or sight of the world because they're unable to see. And because of their handicap, they don't even know it. They don't know their true condition. There's no one around to tell them what sight is. And it's it's this fascinating classic book. But they live with a skewed worldview. Spiritually speaking, we are living right now in the country of the blind. The disease of sin has blinded mankind to eternity and to God. They're real, but they're yet unseen. And I I challenge you as you walk through this life this week to notice people around you. Notice souls that are unaware of spiritual blindness. It's never even crossed their minds. But then there's another group of people who think that they've always been in the light. Jesus repeatedly told the Pharisees 
that they couldn't see because they'd never been blind. He told them that he couldn't save them because they wouldn't admit they were lost. And I'm sure you know religious people who think this way, or maybe you used to think this way. I've always been a Christian. My parents had me baptized when I was a baby. And there are billions of people who've never realized for themselves that they are spiritually blind because they've told themselves that they're just fine. Or somebody else has always told them they're just fine. Some of the people in darkness have inwardly told the Creator that they'll figure it out on their own. God, you can say whatever you want. We're going to figure it out on our own. Look at verse 11. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. So they took God's Word that revealed life and they said, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're smarter than you, God. We know more than you. We have so much experience and we have so much knowledge. And we'll figure it out on our own. You know, there are people in every belief system who are that way. Um, If you've ever met a teenager, sometimes teenagers can be that way. Mom and dad can give them all this great advice. Mom and dad can give them all these perfect boundaries, give them structure. And here's what they begin to think. I can do this on my own. I've got this thing figured out. And you know, sometimes they grow and they learn. And sometimes they keep it all the way through their 20s. And some of you know people who are 33, 34, 35 years old who are still that way. And you say, well, what, when are you ever going to listen to someone? When will you ever learn from somebody else's experience? And yet, this, this is what they said to God. They said, God, we've got this figured out. And so they were blind. At the end of the verse, I want to see this third part. Look what it says at the end of verse 10. Being bound in affliction and iron. Let's talk about sufficiency for the afflicted. Is this third part of the message. Sufficiency for the afflicted. Verse 10, we just read, describes this. People who are bound in affliction. They're prisoners, chained by the awful destruction of sin. And perhaps your testimony is that you are one of them until Jesus sets you free. And maybe you know some of them. They're in bondage, shackled to the worst things on the planet, addicted to substances, forced by greed and dishonesty. Think of the countless souls imprisoned by guilt and despair. You know, some of them would escape if they only knew how. If they only knew how, they would escape. You have to believe that. Walk into any penitentiary and head for death row. When you're there, I, I want you to tell those murderers that you can get them out. You can get them out of death row. And then give them conclusive evidence that you know what you're talking about. You have diagrams, and you have architectural schemes, and you have all the ways that they could get out. Some of them will certainly take you up on the offer. 
But others are going to tell you that there's no way it can happen. You know, the death row of sin is kind of like that. Some people, you tell them the good news that Jesus paid the price for their sins on a wooden cross, and they're ready to accept. But others will make every excuse why they can't. The affliction's too great, the sin's too strong. They don't understand that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so there are people all across the planet sitting in darkness waiting for someone to turn on the light. And here's the question we want to get to this morning. How are they going to hear if no one tells them? How will the ones who desire to tell them even get there? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But first let's get down to verse number 12 and we'll throw verse 13 onto it. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Let's talk about salvation for the helpless. I don't think we're talking about anything new here this morning. God's truth is as old as it's ever been, and yet it's as fresh as it's ever been. And we just need to be reminded of God's truth. You know, Adam and Eve were given clear instructions that they could eat the fruit of every tree in the garden but one. It was set aside. It was forbidden. Of course, we know how that turned out. And because they rebelled against God's instructions, God made labor difficult. That's what it says in verse 12. He brought down their heart with labor. Um, How many of you ladies in this room have ever experienced labor? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, labor, that kind of labor. God gave pain in childbirth. God changed the role of created beings to be tormentors and troublemakers. Serpents, carnivores, insect pests like mosquitoes. I mean, you like mosquitoes. And it flies at this time of year. And my daughter loves earwigs. And so you got all these pests that change from their natural order. And they were cursed. How many of you have a brother-in-law? <laughs> Just teasing, Dave. I love you. <laughs> um, look, God allowed the curse to come. And trouble came upon men everywhere. And here's what it says. They fell down, and there was none to help. And God allowed men to live according to their own devices. And men said, hey, God, we've got this figured out. And God said, okay, go to it. You know, God still does this, by the way. God has never forced anyone to serve him. God has never forced anyone to follow his words. And without God, men fell down. We read it twice there in verse 12. And they realized that there was none to help. There was no one but God that could even help. And they had no answer for this thing. And I love verse 13. Look at it again. Then, then they cried unto the Lord 
in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. So there were those who were willing to cry to him in trouble. And he responded with salvation. He responded with a clear path to peace. A plain road to eternal life. The gospel says that even though we're all sinners that deserve eternal death, Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And he offers to us the gift of eternal life. Look to Romans chapter 10 in the New Testament, if you will. Romans chapter 10. And you may have heard this verse or this passage many times in your life, but I I want you to look at it in a different direction here this morning. Romans 10, verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now look at verse number 11. This is the verse that we skip a lot. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And so there are a lot of people on the earth today who say, I'm a Christian. You know that Bible verse that says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, I did that. Yeah, and you've been ashamed ever since. And if you're ashamed to be a Christian, are you really a Christian? I mean, maybe you confessed it with your mouth, but there's this heart issue of saying, I have to turn my heart over to God. I have to relinquish the reins of my life. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is that we have boys and girls who grow up and then they go up into the youth group and then they turn 18 and they leave the religion of Christianity. Even though they've prayed a verbal prayer, their heart has never once had a real relationship with God. And that verse 11 just shows it. Jesus said in Matthew 10, If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. When it comes to the judgment, I'll be ashamed of you. And it's a, it's a hard truth. It's so hard because, look, I, once again, I'm not trying to confuse anybody. I don't want anybody to doubt salvation. But there are people in this room, you've prayed some prayer before, but you're no more of a Christian than my dog is. You're not a true believer in Christ. You are ashamed of Him and what He did on the cross. So the Bible says, look, there's got to be something behind it. Now, verse number 13, verse I mentioned earlier. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But look at verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believe. Now that is a foundational question. See, there are a lot of people who've called on the name of God who don't really believe that Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross to save them from sin. Some people have prayed a prayer just to get somebody off their doorstep. Somebody, some people have prayed a prayer just so you won't bother him anymore. Say, look, if I pray this prayer, can we leave this alone for the rest of our lives? 
that doesn't sound like real Christianity to me. See, real Christianity continues. There's some authenticity to it. And so this question is huge in verse 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now look at the next question. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? That's a striking question. Because you've probably heard this argument before. A pastor, people ask me this. Pastor, what about people in indigenous tribes who have never been exposed to the Bible? Can they be Christians? Or would God leave them out? It's a great question, isn't it? You're thinking of the answer right now. The Bible, you know what it says in Acts 4.12? Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. You have to know who Jesus is to become a child of God. Period. That's what God says. You have to know who Jesus is. And that's, I mean, you can think about this for a second. That's not something that you naturally know. Now, you know that your heart tells you, I've got a creator. The Bible says that. The heavens declare the glory of God. We know Romans 1 tells us that we've been exposed to the fact that there's a God, even that there's a triune God, just through creation. But that doesn't mean that we know about Jesus. I remember years and years ago, I was on a mission trip up in Vancouver, Canada. And we were out meeting some kids in a park, and I met this kid, and he was 14 years old. And uh, I asked him, you go to church anywhere? I've never been to church, not my whole life. And I said, well, you know that you need Jesus in your life, right? Here I am, I'm like 17 or 18. I don't even know what I'm talking about, really. Sorry, 17 and 18-year-olds. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, you can be effective for Christ. I'm just teasing, but... We were talking, and, and I said, you know about Jesus, and you know you need him to save you? And he said, I've never heard of that guy. This is literally what he said. I've never heard of that guy. And I said, no, Jesus, as in God, as in the one who created everything. Never heard of him. Where do you start with that one? How are you going to talk to that kid in five minutes and get him to heaven? You know, There's a world of people out there that have never heard once, not even once, a true presentation of who Jesus is. They maybe have heard his name, but they've heard it as a curse word, or they've heard it as a teacher in their belief system, or they've heard it in some other way. But how are they going to believe in him whom they have not heard? Now look at this next question. It's so profound. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Another way you could say it is this. How shall they hear without a witness? How are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? This is a logical argument. Right? What God is saying is it's impossible to call on someone and believe on someone that you've never heard of. And it's impossible to hear of him without someone telling you. Because it's not this thing that you all of a sudden know in your own mind. 
There has to be a witness. And then we have this next question. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, in the Bible, in Acts, it describes what we would call a missionary, one who was sent out by a local church to spread this very gospel that we've just explained. And at Centennial, we support missionaries financially through faith promise giving on six continents all around the world. And we're certainly not the greatest mission-giving church there's ever been. But you know what? We should make an effort at this. This should be something that's huge in our lives because it's huge to our God. And and so we really should focus on this. And when you start giving and faith promise giving, which I'm going to explain in just a second, it is a fearful thing. You're thinking of things like, well, what if I don't have $20 that week? What if God runs out of money? What if I don't have enough to give next week? What if, what if, what if? And look, God is able. He'll do His part when we do our part. I wish I could have 10 people come up right now and give a testimony of what God's done in your life through faith promise giving. It's life-changing, to say the least. But you know, everybody that gives to missions has some kind of method for doing it. Some just give a little when they have it or when they feel like it. Um, Some churches never give anything to missions unless a missionary comes by and presents a need. Or maybe they give in a cooperative group um, that that helps missionaries around the world. Other churches make mission giving a budget item in the local church to set a certain amount. And obviously it's wonderful that they're supporting the spread of the gospel no matter how they do it. But here at Centennial we do what we call faith Promise, missions, giving. And here's what it is. It's so simple. It is a plan for each of us to contribute a certain amount, either weekly or monthly, to the missionary fund of this local church, above our usual tithes and offerings that we give. And every year we renew these commitments so that we don't forget how important they are. It's really a promise by faith that we're going to trust the Lord that we can give a certain amount through His local church to spread the gospel to every creature. So this is a, a personal commitment. It's between you and God. And it's by faith. Expecting God to provide the resources you need to do it. Now, I'm not up here today to tell you what to commit. I will tell you that you can't outgive God. And maybe you've committed to give $10 a week in the past, and God's speaking to your heart that your commitment with His resources should be more. God might be speaking to your heart to go from $30 a week to $40. I, I don't know what it is. Some of you, that God would have you to give $50 or $100 a week for worldwide missions. There are people in this room, I, I've talked to you before, I know that your goal is that your missions giving for worldwide evangelism would be the biggest budget item in your personal budget. And I think that's amazing. That's a huge goal. And if God would allow you to do that, praise to His name. But you know, the commitments that we make today have nothing to do with the general budget of this church. But they have everything to do with the heart for God that we're going to have as a church. I truly believe that churches who have a heart for worldwide missions never lack resources here in our own local church community. And when things get tight and they get rough, it's because we're not given worldwide. 
And, and so I'm going to ask the ushers and the men who have the, the cards to pass those out at this time. And if you would distribute uh, the Give Life cards to every individual or couple in the room, even if you're our guest, we're not asking today that you participate, but maybe you'd like to see up close what we're doing. And so if the men could pass those out. And when you get yours, uh, please just hold on to it for a minute before doing anything with it. As I said, you're going to notice this right when you get your card. What you commit is between you and God. Uh, if you'd like a reminder of your commitment, the larger part of your commitment card is for you to keep in your Bible or on your refrigerator or wherever. Notice that the small tear-off portion does not have a place for your name. How many of you understand that God already knows your name? Well, we don't need to know your name. Uh, we collect these simply so we can get an idea of how many missionaries we support in the coming mission year, which starts next Sunday. And here's the part to fill out right now. Everybody's got in the car, I think, getting close. Oh, wait just a second. Okay, we're getting really, really close. This is a very simple little uh, tear-off ticket, and I'm going to talk you through it and walk you through it because this is such a vital, important thing. If you look at the card, here's what it says. By faith and with God's help, I promise to give blank, whatever amount it is, per week or per month. And if you'd circle one of those, that helps us to budget for missions. For the next 12 months to the eternal cause of worldwide missions. Below that, there are two blanks for you to check. If, number one, this is your first time to commit to faith promise giving. Even though we don't know your name, we want to rejoice as a church at what God's doing in your life. And if this is the first time that you're stepping out on faith to do this, we want to rejoice in that. Number two, my faith is growing and I'm raising my commitment from a previous year. And that's just another area where we can all rejoice in God's grace. The bottom portion of the card is simply to help us know what age group has filled out a card. A child could potentially be confused on the card and put $100 a week. And so we do the age just to avoid confusion. And so it's very simple, hopefully, to you. Now, if you'll take the portion of the ticket that you've torn off, the little part, the ushers are going to come by in just a minute to collect those. Um, here's the deal. If you didn't know about Faith Promise Missions before today, you never even heard of it, and you'd like to take your card home and bathe it in prayer before you make a commitment, I certainly respect that. I really do. We're not asking anyone to make a decision out of coercion or guilt. Let's do this to glorify God. But with the, uh, the commitments that are handed in this morning, that we'll get in just a minute, and tonight at the dinner, we're going to have a time of rejoicing. And we're actually going to read these little cards out loud tonight at the mission banquet. So that we can rejoice together in what God's doing. And you know, we're going to read cards of kids that are 12 years old who've committed to give a dollar a week to missions. Praise God for that. And what they're saying is, look, I could give up a snack every week to spread the cause of Christ for worldwide missions. Do you know the average American spends $100 a week on junk a junk food and junk. 
right? Uh, from the $4.25 coffee product to your fast food lunch to your family dinner, whatever, your Coke, get your Maverick. We spend a lot of money, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but I'll tell you this. Our resources come from God. They're not ours. And God wants us to use those resources to the best of our ability to reach people in His kingdom. And so uh, I'm going to have the ushers come and collect the cards, and then we'll have a commitment prayer here this morning. So if we get those plates going... Yeah, guys, just start right up front. Uh, if you have a question about this, I promise you there are no tricks involved in this. We're just trying to reach people for the cause of Christ. Everything that comes in goes into our mission fund. It goes out all across the world. And uh, we took over uh, uh, a gift of several thousand dollars to the orphanage and mission in need. Go ahead and go through, fellas. Um, just this past summer... And we're helping with some big projects in some places. Uh, we're actually helping in our missions to, uh, to fund the starting of a church in Star, Idaho, right now. And uh, we're going to, Lord willing, be able to help considerably with that project. They're working on their building right now. So th- there's a lot of things that are taking place. We have missionary boards down the hallway yeah, you can read and keep up with the missionaries. I would encourage you to get their email addresses, their websites, um, see them on Facebook, and you can see what's going on with our missionaries across the world and interact with them as never before. And uh, so it's an amazing, amazing opportunity. And I, I've been praying this week that God would allow us as a church to increase our commitments from the previous years. And I believe God would be pleased with that, that He... He would want that to happen. And so praise God for that. And I sure do love all of you. And I appreciate you and and your commitment to Christ on this. As we finish this up, we're going to have a closing prayer. And uh, as we close, just before I pray, I want to say this to you. I talked a lot about the gospel today. Because God talks a lot about it. And I talk clearly about eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And if you realize this morning, maybe for the very first time, I'm not truly a Christian. Maybe you've gone to church, maybe you grew up in church, but you've never truly given your heart to God. You've been ashamed of who He is. I would urge you, today after we dismiss, to seek out one of our counselors or to take my hand out in the lobby as we dismiss. Let us show you with a counselor and the Word of God in a private room for just a few minutes how you can know for certain Jesus is your Savior. It's the most important decision you can ever make for all eternity. And I, I, I didn't want that to slip through as we, as we pray this missions prayer of commitment. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you today for the gift of eternal life. And we thank you, God, that it is the hope of everything we do. We wouldn't be here today without eternal life. And I pray that instead of just feeling privileged and thinking we deserve eternal life, help us to realize that but for your grace, we could have been born in any country on earth. We could have been born to any parents on earth. We could have been born in any religious system 
on earth. And if we are children of God, it's only by your grace. And so I pray that you would give us a heart for people around the world who need Jesus Christ. And I do pray once again that if there are those without Jesus Christ in the room today, that you would help them to come and take my hand, that I might show them to a counselor and show them to salvation today. God, you're so good to us. We love you. We worship you. We exalt you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I give you a couple quick instructions about how we're going to do all this? Um, Anybody who can help stack chairs, if you just stay just for a second and do that. And let's make sure we let the people who can't quite do the chairs and stuff physically to get out. And let's not knock them over or anything. But um, we need them in stacks of eight. And then we need about four or five guys to still get in tables.